well. Waiting for a few moments to see some friends join me online. Good morning to everyone. Well, it's great to see you here, and I'm thrilled to start another session in our Sojourners uh, Bible study, a little different for me. Just as a bit of a reminder, I got the idea for the study out of looking at some passages in Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, in that particular passage, the, the writer, who I believe is Paul, began to talk about uh, you and I living this side of heaven. And he uses terms like strangers and pilgrims. And uh, some versions use the word sojourners. So a sojourner is someone who's living this side of glory, but very much looking forward to and longing for a heavenly home. So this series is a biographical series of men and women who have made a, an amazing impact for the cause of Christ. So we're going to look at our third one this morning. Let me start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for a chance to gather with some friends, even if we're gathering electronically. I pray, Father, that you would take the words that I've and, and use them. Help us to be encouraged and, and, and driven to be more like these kinds of giants of the faith. Uh, encourage us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. John, John Piper has a great book, and I would recommend it to you. It's called 21 Servants of Sovereign Joy. And in it, he has account after account after account of uh, some of these heroes of faith. Uh, it's one of the sources I've used for this study. But he calls these giants uh, by three, three little words. He says they're faithful, they're flawed, and they're fruitful. We've looked at uh, two of them so far. Uh, first week, we looked at William Wilberforce. I still like saying that word. He was a uh, British Parliament guy in the, uh, what was it, 18th century. For 46 years, he labored to, to get laws passed that would abolish slavery. And eventually, he was able to do so. We noted in his character the amazing uh, power of And then last week, we took a look uh, again at uh, a giant this one was a German guy by the name of George Mueller. And George lived in the 19th century. He ended up in Great Britain and started a wide range of ministries. The most predominant of one was his work with orphans. And uh, if you remember, his, his faith was absolutely astonishing. Over the course of his lifetime of, of ministering to thousands and thousands of orphans, he raised over $14 million dollars and never once actually asked for help. We knew by looking at his life that God could absolutely be trusted. So that brings us to uh, sojourner number three. And this is a guy by the name of John Bunyan. He comes from a village. It's about um, 50 miles or so northwest of, of England. Um, he was a... Uh, 
an interesting young man uh, when he was young. He had very little education. In fact, uh, just barely was taught to read and to write. But, but he became one of the most influential writers in, in, uh, in the English language. In fact, he's, he's noted as being um, the writer of the first English novel. That's how they describe Pilgrim's Progress. That particular book has been translated into uh, 200 languages. And since it was written uh, in, the, in the 1600s, he, ne he never, that book has never been amazingly powerful guy who barely knew how to read and write. At, um, his childhood was, was difficult. Uh, his sister and his mother both died uh, in uh, some tragic circumstances. His father remarried right away in less than a month. So he had a very unsettling kind of childhood. Um, he, he wrote of his own uh, character during that time. This is what he had to say. He says, I had few equals for cursing and swearing and lying and blaspheming in the holy name of God. I was the very ringleader of the youth in our town in all matter of vice and ungodliness. But when he turned 16 years of age, Bunyan got, um, got drafted uh, of sorts into the parliamentary army. It was a time of British civil war and he got drafted. He ended up serving about three years in that army. At one point, it was his turn to, uh, to stand guard, but another guy stepped in and said, hey, let me do it for you. And that other guy met a tragic end, a musket ball uh, hit him in the head and he died. Bunyan later remarked that that particular influence or experience was proof to him that God his life for a very specific purpose. When, he, when Bunyan got out of the army, he returned to his little town of Bedford and became a tinker. Now, a tinker is a guy who mends pots and pans and, and makes things with his hands. He certainly is not making a great living. By the age of 20, uh, Bunyan got married uh, and he ended up having four children, one of whom was uh, a blind child. It's interesting that not a single biographer can name uh, Bunyan's first wife. We don't know much about her. What we do know is that she brought two things, and they were books. And both of those books were on Christian living. Uh, the stories are told that, that she and Bunyan would read those books together. And uh, over time, Bunyan's spiritual eyes began to, to be opened. Ten years after they were married, uh, Bunyan's wife, uh, she died. And she left him in the care of those four small and needy kids. So less than a year later, or he remarried. This time we know her name. She was an 18-year-old named Elizabeth. Um, and she uh, ended up uh, having two more children with Bunyan. So now he's got six kids. Uh, including the one who was blind. By all, all, by, all, uh, by all accounts, Elizabeth was a remarkable woman, uh, caring for the home, caring for those children, the special needs kid. And once Bunyan was thrown into prison, she became a, an incredible advocate in trying to get him released. Let's talk a little bit about Bunyan's spiritual life. It's always interesting to me how someone ends up coming to Christ. 
Well, he's had this opportunity with his first wife to, to read some books and think about some issues, but he's not uh, persuaded. But one day, while he was wandering through the, the village, he overheard a couple of ladies having a, a real good spiritual conversation. And uh, he asked them where they went to church. And so they told him, and uh, he immediately encouraged his entire family to go and join this uh, non-conformist church. It was a special fellowship that was very rooted in God's word. In his own spiritual, uh, which is called uh, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, I, I recommend you read it, by the way, he described his salvation as a lengthy and agonizing process, not a, 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 a instantaneous one, but one that went on for a period of time. Those baptistic messages from his church, the free discussions that they were able to have, um, and, and, and at some point his intense study of Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Galatians all impacted him and nudged him towards the Savior. At the, at the time uh, he came to know Christ, when it all came together for him, he almost uh, instantly began to teach and preach God's word. His church recognized uh, some spiritual gifts in him, and he began to preach there and in some of the bodies, the spiritual bodies around uh, his community. And he also began to write. And during the time of uh, or excuse me, John Bunyan's life, he's going to write 58 different books, a prolific writer. But one of the things that deeply impacted his life was the civil war that was going on. And as the pendulum swung from, from one perspective to the other, there, there came a time when um, he, uh, he was required, ordered to stop preaching. Um, the nonconformist churches uh, were, were vying for viability against the, the conformist churches, the churches of England, the, the normal uh, village and, and small town parish churches. And the government believed that those organizations that met privately, even though they were a church, were really a political organization. And they were, they were gathering together to speak against the monarchy. So men were not allowed to preach unless they had a license, and Bunyan refused to get a license. Ultimately, a warrant was issued for his arrest, and all he had to do was comply. All he had to do was choose to stop preaching, or he could have escaped. But it, at that point in his life, he made those choices and said no. Originally, he was only sentenced to three months in prison, but it was extended, and ultimately he was going to spend 12 years in a Bedford prison. Remember, he could have been released any time if he just promised not to preach anymore. He wouldn't make that promise. His life uh, in prison was very restrictive. His family suffered so. They had to rely on friends for food and care. The only thing Bunyan could do was make shoelaces while he was in prison to try to help uh, support his family. He only took two books into prison. Yeah, one was his Bible, 
And the other was a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. Again, I would recommend everybody read that one. What's interesting is the kind of setup that they had in that prison uh, allowed for some visitors every now and then, so his family came to visit him. And on an occasion or two, he was actually let out uh, for, for a brief period. Um, but, but make no mistake, 12 years in prison was a very difficult time in Bunyan's life. What's amazing to me is maturity. Uh, even during, you know, very tough times, he, he has got a focus in his life that's admirable. At one point, uh, Bunyan even remarked this. He said, bless you, prison, for having been in my life. I, I, I don't know. Wow. To look at a prison experience and bless it, because there were, there were some things that that he felt he was learning and growing in, that it would not have happened without those circumstances. At one point uh, in some of his writings, he, he said about, about this issue of uh, the value of difficulties and, and trials and challenges. He says that in some countries, trees will grow, but they will bear no fruit. Why? because there is no winter there. The value of winter in a person's life. He believed not to give in or faint during such times of suffering was to look, as it says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, let me quote it for you, to look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, or temporary, but the seen are eternal. Out of that verse in Galatians 6 and verse 14, he determined to live, and I quote now, to live upon God that is invisible. Invisible meaning eternal. He saw suffering as a, as a necessary and, and normal experience. He realized and took to heart that passage in John 16 that says, in the world, you're going to have trouble. There is tribulation. He, his time in prison uh, deepened his walk with the Lord, his love for the flock, and his love for God's word. Uh, one writer, when talking about how it deepened his love for the flock, said this, it gave his pastoral labor the fragrance of eternity. He was embracing others even as he stood with, as the expression goes, the wind in his face. He suffered, and as he suffered, Bunyan became more and more passionate about God's word. There's a verse in Psalm 119, verse 71, that he also took to heart. It says this, it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. It was good for me that I was afflicted. That was the heart of John Bunyan. He was strengthened through those 12 years by a confidence he had that God was indeed sovereign and that the Lord would bring his children safely home to their 
eternal, invisible, heavenly home. At one point he wrote, my times are in your hands. I think John Bunyan was a remarkable sojourner. He had a, he had a, a, a gift for preaching, but also a gift for writing. Remember, he had very little formal education. So, so naturally, he wrote in a pretty unpolished style, but he wrote constantly. Before he ever got into prison, he had written four books. And the last year before he died, he wrote five books in 12 months. Some of those books were theological controversies, but, but a lot of them were things like poetry and uh, children's literature. And, and the great majority of them were doctrinal, doctrinal expositions of scripture. Now you know his most famous work. It's called Pilgrim's Progress, which by the way, next to the Bible, is perhaps the world's best-selling book. Remember, since the mid-1600s, it's never been out of print. He originally wrote that allegory not for everyone else. Some have suggested that he, that he had in mind that he could publish and that that would help support his family. That was not his intention. He wrote the allegory of Pilgrim Progress to encourage himself. At the beginning of the book, if you read the little preface that he writes, he says this, Nor did I undertake this as my neighbor. No, not I. I did it my own self to gratify. He wrote the Pilgrim's Spiritual Journey, Pilgrim's Progress, using the images that he knew right out of his own world. Just a couple of examples. As Christian makes his way from the city of destruction to the city of the celestial city, from the city of destruction to the celestial city, he comes first to a, to a straight gate. And the description of it uh, is a description of a, an old wicked gate just outside uh, Bunyan's house. And then the slew of despond. I love that phrase. The slew of despond. It came from his memories of a of a wet and mossy area not too far from his house. And the delectable, delectable mountains that are part of the story, they're those uh, Chilton Hills all around Bedford. My, my, uh, my feeling is that all of us have read uh, Pilgrim's Progress have probably a, a favorite section, and I, I certainly do. Mine comes in section three. It's a, a, a section entitled, The Cross. Um, Christian comes up to a wall, and the wall is known as the Wall of Salvation. Uh, the account uh, at that wall kind of goes like this. He says, up this way, therefore, did burdened Christian run. Difficulty, because of the load on his back. He ran thus till he came to a place it was somewhat ascending, and upon that place stood a cross, and a little below, in the bottom, a sepulchre. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up to the cross, 
his burden loosed off his shoulders and it fell off his back and it began to tumble. And so continued to do until it came to the mouth of the where it fell in. And I saw it no more. Then was Christian and lightsome and said with a merry heart, he hath given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Wow, what a passage. I remember the first time I read it, I read it over and over and over again. The imagery was so rich with the, the weight that was on his back falling off and getting buried in that sepulcher, never to come up again. So what do you and I learn from a guy like John Bunyan, a man who spent a good portion of his life in prison, uh, uneducated and yet a prolific writer, a preacher of God's word with no formal training, a man who knew sorrow and uh, difficulty and was challenged at every turn. What, what do you learn from a guy like this? Well, I think there's one main thing that we can take away from a study of John Bunyan. And that is that he saw all of those difficult circumstances as an inlet, as, a, as an open door into God's word. His suffering didn't drive him away from God. It drove him to the Lord. It drove him into the scriptures specifically. And when he immersed himself there, the word of God opened up to him. At one point he said that the raging of the devil, he, it, it turned me into a fairly good theologian. Me to a goal that I should never have reached. He saw all of the difficulties in his life as an open door into the mind of Christ. He ran into that door. He ran into the Word of God, and he stayed there. You know, during a time like now, our society and even our own families are struggling. There are health issues and political ter uh, turmoil and racial tensions and all the rest. We're a people that are, that are pent up in our homes, concerned about... Uh, health issues, uh, arguing and disagreeing on most every subject. During a time like this, it's important that we take to heart and remember that John Bunyan ran to the Word of God. He ran to the Word and he stayed there. We need to do that too. There's another incredible section in Pilgrim's Progress, a scene when um, the, the, uh, the pilgrim, Christian, is trying to figure out a way to get out of the dungeon in the uh, castle of doubt or the doubting castle. And he's flailing around trying to find the key to get out of that dungeon. And all of a sudden he realizes that the key to the door was already in his chest pocket. And I think there's great symbolism of that. It's the picture the amazing picture of the power of, of hiding God's word in our heart, in our, in our chest pocket, if you will. It's a key. 
memorizing scripture, when we hide God's word in our heart, it, it becomes an incredible tool to free us from experiences and seasons of difficulty, maybe like the ones we're experiencing now. If I was shifting some imagery for a moment from the sublime to the, to the ridiculous, I might call your attention to an old Peanuts a comic strip. Uh, Sally is the featured uh, young lady in this one. And she's struggling to uh, to find her memory verse, to get her memory verse down before she, before she goes to church on Sunday. She was absorbed in her thoughts and trying to figure out what the verse was and where it came from. And all of a sudden she remembered, and I'm quoting now, maybe it was something from the book of re-evaluation. I love that. Even though in the comic strip, she never ended up finding the memory verse. What an example for you and I. We ought to read God's word every single day with the intent to re-evaluate our attitudes and our actions. We need to make sure that they are in line with all the truths of God's word. You know, Charles Spurgeon, the great British preacher, he read Pilgrim's Progress every single year. I haven't read it that much, but he did. But he fully understood how powerful God's word was in the life of John Bunyan. He said at one time, and I love this quote, you prick him, that is, you prick John Bunyan anywhere, and you'll find that his blood is bibline, the very essence of the Bible flows through him. He cannot speak without quoting a text. Catch this, for his soul is full of the word of God. Because his soul was so filled with God's word, the Lord used him in some incredible, amazing ways. And just imagine, guys, imagine what it would be like if all of us functioned as if our souls were full of the Word of God. You know, if you're not in the habit of spending time in God's Word every single day, can I make maybe three practical suggestions? First, start the habit. Just start it. Start it today. Start it tomorrow. Start it. Start every morning in God's Word. Don't allow yourself to read a text, Check a calendar, read an email, uh, read the headline, anything else until you have searched God's word for yourself. And secondly, don't stop reading the scriptures until you find, as uh, Rick Warren might say, a comfort or a challenge in that passage of scripture. Don't stop until there's something that clicks, that that, that, that gets into your soul. You know, um, a lot of us have uh, Bible apps and a verse will flash on our screens, but those are not enough. That, that flashing headline isn't, excuse me, isn't enough. We need to keep reading until there's something for us. One author has uh, said, I have read many books, but it's the Bible that reads me. Don't stop your daily reading until there's something 
that has read you. And the third little suggestion, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest that you challenge yourself to memorize God's word. Perhaps one verse a week. You say, oh, this is too difficult. I can't do it. Yeah, you can. There are all kinds of techniques and ways to, to get God's word into your heart. Those of you that are visual learners, put it on cards. If you've got children, involve them. Uh, if you're an auditory learner, you know, record it on your phone and listen to it over and over again. But in some way, in some fashion, be intentional about memorizing God's word. You never know when you're going to need a key to get out of some dungeon in your life. So my friends, here's my thought. Let's all take to heart the injunction in Deuteronomy chapter 32 that Moses gave to the Israelites just before um, he was to pass off the scene. He was encouraging them to hear out God's word and take it to heart. This is what he said. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. Let's follow the example of John Bunyan and make the word of God the words of our lives as well. Well, thanks for coming. It would have been absolutely no fun without you. Have a great day. Before I, I let you go, just a little reminder. Uh, I have a website, sherryworld.com, and on that website, everything pretty much I've ever written or taught has been captured, and the Bible studies have been turned into podcasts. So if you enjoy uh, listening to my uh, sweet tone of voice, you can find everything there, including this new series, uh, The Sojourners. So if someone happens to not be able to get on Facebook, you could direct them to uh, the website, tell them to go to the Bible Studies section, click on the podcast, uh, go to the, uh, the, the listing of all of the, the ones that are available, and they are in chronological order. So God bless you. Have a wonderful day.